0: Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Shona Jenkins and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Britain has a new Prime Minister. Boris Johnson won the support of Conservative Party members by vowing to deliver Brexit by October 31st with or without a deal with the European Union. Now he has just 100 days to prove he is as good as his word. With me to discuss the scale of the task he set himself is Miranda Green, Deputy Opinion Editor, and Jim Brunsdon, the FT's EU correspondent. Miranda, we don't know whether the electorate backs the new Prime Minister in his quest to leave the EU by the 31st of October. Only an election would tell us that, but what about his own MPs and the wider Parliament?
1: Well, he got the overwhelming backing of most of the parliamentary party before they went to the full Conservative Party membership for the final ballot, the result of which was announced today, Tuesday. Now, their motivations in backing him, of course, are not all as one. Some of his support comes from the very hard Brexit wing of the Tory party, the so-called European Research Group, who made Mrs May's life such a misery during her premiership. And some of his support comes from very mainstream moderate Tory MPs who simply think that Brexit is an existential crisis for the Tory party and they have to back somebody who's a recognised household name who possibly can win an election if it comes to that and who can just in some sort of magical way get this over with through sheer force of personality. So a lot is really riding on the idea that an incoming Prime Minister will have momentum where in the dying months of Mrs May's premiership... There was none, precious little goodwill, and it was clear that she'd sort of hit a brick wall. So what kind of a deal do you think Mr
0: Johnson could strike with Brussels that would be acceptable to the Brexiteers?
1: Boris Johnson is going to face exactly the same problems that Mrs May has faced, which is that, you know, he is taking over a minority administration and actually he's arguably in a slightly worse position because whereas by striking this governing deal with the DUP, the Northern Irish Unionist party Mrs May managed to govern even though she lost the Tory majority in the 2017 general election. Actually at the moment that tiny single digit governing majority is being whittled away all the time. There's a by-election coming up next week in Wales where the Tories are likely to lose the seat. Yesterday one of their MPs was actually accused of criminal offences. All the time, there's a threat to the idea that Boris Johnson can get anything at all through the Commons. So, you know, we're coming very, very rapidly to the end of the parliamentary year. When we start again in September, there's a huge question mark hanging over whether he can achieve anything, let alone find some tweak in some way that Brussels finds acceptable to the political declaration part of the withdrawal agreement and try and push that through on a fourth attempt, which is what it would be, or whether he can start afresh. There really isn't time to start afresh. Or even if he chooses to walk away from the deal and try and achieve a no-deal Brexit by this deadline of 31st of October, which became a sort of sacred date during the Tory leadership campaign, even if he chooses to do that and sort of paint the EU as the bad guy in this process, whether Parliament will let him when he has no clear majority is extremely doubtful. Well, we'll come back to that question a little bit later. Turning to you, Jim, EU
0: leaders have made clear that the deal they reach with Theresa May is non-negotiable. Are they going to stick with that?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. Basically, in Brussels, you have I guess what could be described as the official situation, and then you have the real situation. And so the official situation is one where there's not really gonna be a renegotiation. It's one where Britain was granted a Brexit extension, so a delay to Brexit, in order to figure out internally how it could ratify the deal that's already on the table. And Brussels and the other EU capitals are waiting to hear from the UK about that. Then you have the real situation, which is everyone knows that there's going to have to be a discussion because the deal as it stands can't get through the House of Commons. So there's a preparedness on the EU side to have that discussion. The problem is, is that it's on terms completely different to everything that Boris Johnson's been talking about during the Conservative leadership campaign.
0: And when will the next big talks take place?
2: In a way, the ball's with Boris Johnson on that one. I mean, the EU is going to remain staffed up during August. So if at any level, you know, more technical level or more higher political level, folks in the UK government want to open discussions with Brussels, people will be here. And I think just in general, the EU is very keen to keep the ball in the UK's court. You know, the UK is the one that is asking for something, that's asking for changes. There is a deal that was ceremonially agreed with Theresa May at a high profile summit at the end of last year. And I think that the EU wants to keep all the pressure very much on the UK side. So they're essentially sitting back saying, well, we're waiting to hear from the UK and these are our red lines.
0: Jim, you said that Brussels was prepared to talk, but on different terms to what Boris Johnson has proposed. What would those terms be?
2: So Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, set out some of those in a tweet today. In fact, it's remarkable how much ground you can cover in a tweet when it comes to the Brexit negotiations. But there you go. And the thing that the EU is really holding up as an option is to rework the political declaration. And the, the political declaration is part of the deal that Theresa May struck with the rest of the EU. It's the part that deals with the future relationship, aspirations for future cooperation. Now, this has been just rejected out of hand already by Boris Johnson and other Brexiters on the grounds that it doesn't deal with the fundamental problems. And that's because Theresa May's deal has two parts. It has the political declaration. But the far more important substantial part is the actual exit treaty itself. And it's that treaty that contains the hated Irish border backstop, which has become this totemic issue in the Brexit negotiations. So that's the first thing. But behind that, there's other stuff that you can discuss. So you could have a negotiation where you look at alternative backstops to the current backstop. Now, that's a negotiation which is within very defined parameters. A backstop has to be permanent, for instance. It can't have an end date. But there were different versions of the backstop discussed during the course of the Brexit negotiations most notably one much more focused on northern ireland rather than one binding the whole uk into a customs union with the eu another option is if you are looking for a way out you could extend the transition period so you do a negotiated brexit but you effectively keep the uk tied to eu rules and regulations for a far longer period in exchange for having seamless market access but of course that's something which plenty of brexters would consider to be vassalage so might be a non-starter as well but They're all things you can discuss or start a discussion on. It's just they're incredibly far removed from what Boris Johnson has been talking about, which is to effectively rip up Theresa May's deal
1: and delete the backstop entirely. Miranda, do you have something to add to that? I think it's really interesting when Jim outlines the other possibilities... I think the problem with the backstop that affects only Northern Ireland is, as Mrs May famously said, no British Prime Minister could ever agree to that because it puts a border between one part of the UK and another and certainly the Northern Ireland Unionists couldn't live with that. This idea of a longer transition, however, even in the dying days of the May Premiership, That was quite an active conversation in the corridors of Westminster. And I think also when we're sort of looking at this, it's true that during the Conservative leadership election, the lines on Brexit became harder and harder and harder. And even Jeremy Hunt, who, as we know, started off a Remain voter, was forced by the end of it. Both of them were forced on the platform to say no aspect of the backstop was acceptable at all and it had to be taken out completely. We must not forget that Boris Johnson's number one quality is to be able to change his position on things, you know. And actually, if he has the goodwill behind him, he may feel it possible to swivel on some of this. But I think also, you know, you just can't forget that in politics, atmosphere and a pressure that a political atmosphere exerts on people to change their position can do a lot. Boris Johnson himself, let's not forget, actually voted for Mrs May's package the third time. It may have been, as he said, with a heavy heart, but he did it and he may well be able to persuade all sorts of Tories with a heavy heart to do the same thing if he can get tweaks that he thinks are acceptable.
0: Now, what about Mr Johnson's threat to withhold part of the £39 billion divorce settlement until Brussels gives ground? Does that give him any leverage?
2: Not much. I talked about this with folks in the European Commission last week. And the issue with that is that it's not as if it's money that the EU needs all in one go. This is essentially money to cover legacy liabilities of the EU. This is all to do with the fact that the EU budget doesn't run a deficit. And so what happens is payment commitments are made that are then honoured using new money. So there's basically a delay, a lag to when the EU needs this money. It's going to need it little by little over the coming years and decades. So it doesn't create some kind of immediate hole in the EU budget if Brussels doesn't get it right away. I think the short-term hole would be about £2 out of the £39
0: Do you think when it comes to it, EU leaders would be inclined to give Britain a further extension to the Article 50 process?
2: It depends on the circumstances. I think one thing that's pretty clear is that the EU is determined not to be the midwife of a no-deal Brexit. I think Angela Merkel's been very clear about that. She thinks that history would judge the EU very poorly if the EU was seen to have somehow pushed the UK over the edge. But still, everything depends on circumstances. I think ultimately an extension is going to be granted if it's for some kind of meaningful further discussion on what the EU sees as a rational basis, you know, something that could actually lead to a successful outcome. It'll be granted if the UK wants to hold an election or perhaps even a second referendum. What's much more dicey is an idea that's been floated in the UK, which is this idea that maybe we just have an extension to prepare for a no-deal. That takes things onto much more dangerous ground for the EU and that's far less likely to be granted.
0: If the talks fail, Miranda, what power does Parliament have to try
1: and prevent a no-deal Brexit? This is a question to which no-one really knows the answer. All we know is that the default position legally, because the legislation was previously passed, is that Britain would crash out without a deal. So you're sort of working from that as a baseline. Clearly, there are very, very active cross-party activities to try and prevent that happening. They failed before. They could have fresh impetus in the autumn. But it's really uncharted territory in constitutional terms, and a lot of it would depend on the willingness of rebellious, remain-oriented or soft Brexit-oriented Tory backbenchers to threaten a vote of no confidence against their own new prime minister in the autumn. Nobody really knows whether they would actually find the backbone to do that. So, given all this uncertainty,
0: can you take a punt? What do you think is the likelihood of an autumn election?
1: I think an election becomes more likely if it's looking intractable. And I think, as many people have said, Boris Johnson could be a historically short prime ministership because if we have an election in the autumn and he loses you know that's the end of his lifetime ambition to run the country but honestly making political predictions in the uk now is a mug's game so i'm not going to go there well thanks to miranda
0: and to jim and thank you for listening don't forget if you missed our recent episodes on off-the-shelf internet spyware uganda's ghetto politician or the new european commission president you can find them on all the usual podcast platforms